Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Here is the story of Esau because we should want to know, well, what happens to him? What does happen to him? The word tells us, and it's going to let us know about this in Genesis 36 because it's not so much so that we understand what's happening with Esau or the conclusion or to wrap that story up. It's really to highlight the fact that, well, when God says something's going to happen, it's actually going to happen. It's going to happen. And it happened for Esau because God told him, you will be a nation. I'll make a nation out of you. And he did that. None of the earthly things here on earth compare to the joy of having your heart set on Jesus. Everything else pales in comparison when your eyes are set on the Lord. We visit the family of Esau to see where his heart was focused and how it was evidenced for generations after him. Pastor James explains how we can see the difference between a life lived with focus on God versus a life lived for the world. So we can be encouraged to set our own hearts on Jesus every day. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis, chapter 36, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken, we need hope for the hopeless, give some. We're in the chapter you've all been waiting for. I know, since chapter one, you've been like, when are we going to get to 36? Because it's so rich with information. No, you're not saying that. Um, Nobody says that. Nobody's like, can we please get to Genesis chapter 36? Not that there's nothing good in here. There's just not a lot in this part. There's good application here for us, but we're going to be talking about Esau. He is the son, the oldest son of Jacob. If you remember the story, if not, I'll bring you up to speed. So you have Isaac had two twins, Jacob and Esau. We always say Jacob and Esau because Jacob technically was younger. By definition, he was younger. However, we say his name first because even though he was not the oldest son, the birthright was given over to him. It was prophesied beforehand. God had showed up and had let mom and dad know, hey, The two that are growing inside of you right now, those are actually two nations, and the older will serve the younger, okay? So customarily speaking, in this culture, the oldest son was next up. So when dad passes on, the oldest son, it is his responsibility to lead the family from there on out. Not just practically, not just physically, monetarily, or anything like that. We're talking about spiritually, they have the obligation to lead their family spiritually. And that's quite the burden to to be placed on an individual. Esau never wanted that. He had no interest in that at all. He was after other things. He was more consumed with other things than the spiritual aspects of following God or leading his family in the ways of the Lord. And especially this new thing that had just happened with his grandfather, who is Abraham. Okay, so God told Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. So Abraham has two sons, Ishmael, but he's disqualified. And Isaac was the one that was promised to him and to Sarah. So with this family and these new beginnings, you do have Esau, you have Jacob. And we've been spending more time with Jacob because Esau is kind of like a footnote, so to speak, within the Bible. Kind of is. 
Is he an important character within the word? Yeah, he is, but only to a certain degree, if we're honest. I mean, I don't know if he's your hero. Esau probably shouldn't be your biblical hero, though. If he is, you've got to rethink your characters because he's not necessarily the best guy in the world, all right? And he's certainly not anybody to look up to. Was he blessed by God? Yes, he was. And because God's word comes true, all right? So you have this whole ordeal with Jacob and Esau. Esau is out in the fields doing his thing. He's like a man of the earth, not just physically like dirt and hunting and all that stuff. Like he's that guy, but he's also a man of pursuing everything that the world has to offer to him. He is way more interested in that than the spiritual aspect of anything. He's out there to to figure out how can I get the most out of this life right now? Because that's my focus is this life right now. I have no concern with what's to come. As far as he's concerned, there may not be a next thing to come. Maybe it's just big emptiness and maybe you cease to exist and that's it. We don't know what's going on in his mindset. Jacob, however, was interested in the spiritual headship of the family. He wanted that. Did he want it for all the right reasons? We don't know. He's kind of a tricky, conniving kind of guy, but he wanted it and he was willing to take it. So that's like the baton was passed in that sense, okay? We're familiar with these stories, I believe, but it it leads us to this point as we've been walking with Jacob down this road of lying to his dad, stealing the blessing from his dad. Esau was also prayed for by Isaac and was given a blessing by him and was told, listen, you're going to be a nation too, okay? So this is all the context. This is all the propping up of what we're going to go through in a second. We're going to read through some names. I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing these names. That's just how it goes, okay? But Jacob's been doing his thing and the Lord is multiplying his family and establishing him as a nation. Here's the story of Esau because we should want to know, well, what happens to him? What does happen to him? The word tells us, and it's going to let us know about this in Genesis 36, because it's not so much so that we understand what's happening with Esau or the conclusion or to wrap that story up. It's really to highlight the fact that, well, when God says something's going to happen, it's actually going to happen. It's going to happen. And it happened for Esau because God told him, you will be a nation. I'll make a nation out of you. And he did that. And he made multiple nations out of this one guy and his family. So if you get anything out of Genesis chapter 36, God's word always comes true, even if we don't understand it. Even if we don't understand it, it always comes to pass. And it doesn't always come to pass when we think it should, but it does. So here is Genesis 36, 1. This is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom, and that's his nickname, okay? Now, I study through like every single commentary What most guys do, and I should have learned this, what most guys do is they teach 35 and 36 together, okay? And I looked at everybody's commentary, and there's like this much information on chapter 36. That's it, like a paragraph. They're like, it's a genealogy. Basically, it's just some names and what happens. Um, And I'm like, no. See, the kind of person I am, I read through this stuff, and I have to know why it's in there. And it drives me crazy. It absolutely drives me nuts because I have to know why this stuff is in there. And there's going to be some things in here that I'm going to highlight. I have no answers for them. I have no answers for these things at all. But I'm always intrigued because the Bible includes stuff. And I'm like, well, why is that there? It's got to be there for a reason. You get to heaven. Jesus is the greatest teacher of his word. And he'll explain Genesis 36. He'll be like, oh, yeah, remember that? That's why that was in there. And it's like, oh, okay. Never got that. Just some open transparency with you guys. Uh, Here you go. This is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. 
The reason why that's key, the Edom, is because when you go forward, people are not called Esauites, they're Edomites. So if you remember that word and you go through, this is key because Moses is writing this book to the children of Israel, and they're about to go back into the promised land from Egypt, and you're going to come across the people who live at the border, and they're called the Edomites, and they didn't want to let Israel back into the land, okay? Well, that's their cousins. Those are all the descendants of Esau, right? They were not so happy about the children of Israel coming back into Canaan. They weren't willing to help them out. So there's a lot here that gets established within this chapter. But here you go. Here's Edom, the Edomites. Verse 2, it says, Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. Now, we know that from the past couple of chapters that when Esau is really, really salty towards uh, his brother Jacob, and rightfully so, because the guy like totally disguised himself as Esau so that he could steal a blessing from his dad. Esau is upset about this so much so that he's like, listen, um, Jacob, I'm going to kill you. Um, when dad dies, you're a dead man. We, we've been through all this stuff. Uh, the other thing that he did was, in, in spite of everything going on within his family, this is how much he didn't want this birthright in the sense of the spiritual aspect. He purposely went and married two Canaanite women. He did that on purpose. He's like, I'll show you, mom and dad. I'll show you guys. I'll show you. I'll show everyone. I'm going to intermarry with the Canaanites. Should we be doing that? No. You shouldn't have done that. But he didn't care. That's what he was going to do. He saw two ladies and he says, you know what? I don't need, I saw, you know, who, why have one wife when you can have more wives? That's just bad logic. But um, anyways, so he's, he marries two Canaanite women, but then he also adds a third wife as well. So the daughters of Canaan, uh, Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, uh, Holibama, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite. Okay, so there you go. And now some, some of these ladies are going to have multiple names, right? So we'll go through this. But it, it was common back then for, for women to have more than one name. Now, that seems like that'd be confusing to me. Um, so it's like, but they have, and it's not like first name, middle name kind of a thing, but they sometimes were identified by two different names. So we'll see that a little bit as we go. But it says in base math, uh, Ishmael's daughter, sister of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, base math, uh, what a name, base math, um, just, yeah, bore Reuel, uh, and Aholibama bore Jeush, uh, Jalam, and Korah. And these were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. So he has around five sons that are born to him. We don't know how many daughters. He's going to have roughly around, some would say, 10 to 11 grandsons that are going to be mentioned in this chapter as well. But this is the establishing of his family. This is the establishing of a nation. So here is Esau, born of Isaac, this new nation, and he's intermarrying with the Canaanite women and his descendants are going to be really, a lot of these guys are going to end up being just uh, thorns in the side of Israel, okay? So you have Ishmael, who was Abraham's son, right? Uh, firstborn, but of the, of the slave woman. Um, that's going to cause problems for Israel too. But Esau's descendants will cause some issues for Israel as well. And, and there is a danger there. It, just, just to say this, um, there is a danger when you kind of step away from the Lord and you're going to just do things your way and you want to do things the way you want to do things. That's kind of what Esau is doing here. Um, you're going you're gonna to sow a lot of heartache, and not just for yourself, but it will affect other people. I mean, this is a, a very simple application. Um, 
the decisions that Esau is making, and he's purposefully making some of these decisions of like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care if this is right. I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, we know that of him because if you read in the New Testament, especially in the, you have two references. You have one in Romans chapter 9, and then again in Hebrews chapter 11, and then 12, uh, Esau's name is mentioned. In Romans chapter 9, it talks about, it's a reference to Malachi, where it talks about, you know, God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now, that seems like harsh, but the word hate there is different. It's not what we think of. Um, but you have this like, well, why? why? Why Jacob over Esau? And then even in the Hebrews, it talks about that of like, don't, if you're going to be like anybody, be like Jacob, kind of, but don't be like Esau. Because why? Because he's a man of the world. He's one who's pursuing the lusts of this world. He can't get his fill with everything that this world has to offer. He's a man totally consumed with the world, and not just like the physical nature of the world, but the spiritual element in one sense of the world, everything that the world would have to offer to him. He wants all of that. And then, so that's, that's kind of the rub here. And that's, you know, with Esau, he's like, his attitude is like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I want everything that this world has to offer. I want fame. I want riches. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but it, when, when it's your heart's desire and, and when you want those things above God, that's a problem. That's a problem. And the biggest issue with that is, well, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. So if you want to invest in everything that this world has to offer and give your heart to everything that this world has to offer, when it's all said and done, you have nothing left. There's nothing left. It all burns away. It, nothing lasts here on this planet. Nothing does. But if you invest somewhat, you know, so to speak, in, in the kingdom and your heart is in heaven, so to speak, with him, with Jesus, everything that happens on this planet, I mean, it could be good. You can have tremendous amounts of success and wealth and all that stuff. Go for it. Whatever. But your heart belongs to Jesus and your mind and your eyes are fixed on Jesus. So when you die, whatever you attained in this world, it's like, okay, that was sweet, but I'm moving on to the next thing, which is bigger and better than anything I ever experienced on this planet. Any, I mean, just far surpasses everything that, we, that you could have possibly obtained here on earth. Esau never got that. He never got that. I want more. I want more. I want more. I need more. I need more. I need more. And we... The, the easy, easy target for us is, I mean, we live in a world that is just saturated with, like, um, celebrity. I mean, it's like our world revolves around celebrity, and it's, it's, it's nonsensical. I mean, it's so crazy. I, I don't even know who celebrities are anymore because there's just so many of them. And you can become a celebrity through YouTube or through all this other Instagram stars and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I don't know who these people are. I don't care who these people are. But our world has made a huge deal about celebrity, celebrity, celebrity. Get your 15 minutes of fame. See if you can make that extend. See if you can get as much money as you possibly can and all this stuff. And, and it's empty. And it's empty. I mean, Esau would fit in perfectly in our day today. He would fit right in in our world today. He'd be at home. He'd be like, well, what? Who, who's got the most subscribers? I'll, I'll beat that. 
I'll birth them all, right? Like he formed his own nation. He's like, I'll get the most, I'll I'll be the richest man. I'll be the most powerful guy. I'll establish the greatest kingdom. I mean, that's his mindset. That's his mentality. I will make my name great here on this earth. But when you breathe your last breath, that's all you have. And you can't take it with you. None of it translates. Whether your destination is heaven or your destination is hell, none of what you have obtained here on earth goes with you to either place. So what a loss. What a loss. Ultimately, if everything that you base, everything that you're investing in is here and now, invest in the kingdom of God where moth nor rust Rust. We know rust, right? We live on the coast. Everything rusts down here. Plastic rusts down here. It's like crazy. Can't touch, can't touch it in heaven. Can't touch it in heaven. Store it for yourself treasures in heaven. It, that's that's got to be, if, we gotta, if we're going to take away anything from the life of Esau, it's that. He was a man who was all about the here and now. The here and now. We, we need to be people about that day. That day the day of the Lord, the day when he comes back, the day when he calls us home, that day. That's what we need to be about. We need to be people of that day. Now, again, let me say this. Um, if, if God blesses you with success in this life, praise God. Don't ever let anybody make you feel bad for that. I don't know why that happens. There's a guilt that kind of comes along with this at times. You shouldn't feel bad if God is blessing you with success. Why? Why? I've dealt with this with people, especially once you come back from mission trips, and they're like, oh, man, I feel so bad. I have this nice house and all this stuff. I'm like, but God has blessed you with this place. Use it for his glory. Use it for his glory. Use it for his kingdom. God's blessed you financially. Use it for his kingdom. Use it for his glory. Consider yourself blessed because he's trusting you with something. You should never feel bad about that. Never, ever feel bad about that. Now, if you don't have much, you shouldn't feel bad about that either. Just keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Stay focused. Stay fixed on the Lord and just serve him every day. God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? How can you use me today? And what I have, how can you use me today? That's got to be our focus. Contentment, I think, is what that's called, right? So Esau, a man of discontentment, no contentment within his life. He's got a growing family. Uh, he's got multiple wives and, and all this stuff, and, and his family is progressing. Now, you're, you're going to run into an issue. When your family is growing like his is, um, not just with sons and daughters and wives, um, but you also have servants that are becoming part of the team, so to speak. Your livestock are expanding and they're growing. Uh, and then your brother just shows up back in town, and he's got his own crop of people. He's got, he's got a family that's bigger than yours. Um, and he's got lots of livestock and lots of all the stuff. You're going you're gonna to start to kind of butt heads, so to speak, and, and you're going you're gonna to figure out that the town's just not big enough for the two of you, right? So somebody's got to go. Uh, Esau, maybe he recognizes this. I, I don't really know, but he decides that he's going to be the one who moves. Maybe understanding that, Jacob, this is your land. Maybe he concedes to that, right? We, we don't really see any hostility between him and his brother Jacob after they meet back up when Jacob comes back into the promised land. In fact, it was Esau who ran to him and fell upon him and was embracing his brother who he threatened to kill like 20 years ago um, and was kissing him on the neck. All these, these signs of like, all's forgiven, all's forgiven. 
So there's a good, in one sense, a relationship there. But his family's growing, and, and they have to, they got to go somewhere. They got to go somewhere. Verse 6, it says, Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, all the persons in his household, his cattle, all his animals, and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan. So he was successful there and went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. And the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. All right, just another, another little reminder there for us. And Sierra is going to be down south. Um, but they come to this realization. You're being blessed immensely, growing. I'm being blessed immensely. And, and they both, Jacob and Esau, could stand together and say, you know what? What God said was going to happen is actually happening. They both could testify to that because they both saw that, Man, our families are growing and all this stuff is, it seems as though what was prophesied, so to speak, about us as being two nations within our mother's womb is actually true. And they're seeing it come to pass. So Esau's going to move south and he's going he's to make friends with, with the individuals that are kind of occupying that, that land there. It's um, geographically, if I don't, I don't know if, you, if you've never been to Israel or maybe you can envision, I should have had a map, um, but you know where the Dead Sea is? This is the area we're talking about. He would occupy uh, portions of where the Dead Sea is, um, and it's, there's nothing really spectacular about that land. Um, it's kind of barren. Uh, if you ever go over there, we, we plan, I really, it's my goal to get a trip to Israel. Now, there's, Houston's going in 2020, Calvary Houston. Uh, there's other churches that have invited us to go. Um, Ed Taylor in Aurora, Colorado is like, hey, we're going in 2020. Come with us. But you, you just have to go. You got to go because you got to see this thing. You got to see where all this stuff took place. But so this is kind of like barren in one sense. But this is where Esau is going to feel more at home. And so he, he moves his family to this region. Verse 9, and this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites. There you go. In Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons. Now, there's going to be a lot of repetition here, okay? And we're going to go from the, his sons to the chiefs to all the stuff, and it's the same names. It, you'll, you'll know them, maybe, if you're paying attention. <laughs> all right. Uh, these were the names of Esau's son, Eliphaz. We've gone over his name before. The son of Ada, the wife of Esau. Reuel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, I don't know, Gatam, and Kenaz, all right? Looking for names, possible names? No, don't. Just move past Genesis 36. Like, there's no names in here for your children, grandchildren, or even your pet. Just move past. Verse 12. Now, Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, okay, Esau's son, and she bore, here's the interesting thing, Amalek. So you're reading through this, you're like, I know that name. You should know that name, okay? Uh, If you've read through the Old Testament, you're familiar with the Amalekites, bad dudes, Bad guys, just horrible guys. Well, they come from Esau. They came from him. Man, you talk about just a a thorn in the flesh of Israel and just causing problems for these guys. The Amalekites never did anything really good. But they have their origin from Esau, from Esau. And so it's really through his son and his son's concubine there, they produce Amalek, who would go on to form the Amalekites. And this is just another group of individuals. This is another nation here. But bad. You know, we'll cover more of those guys as we continue on through the word. But that's one that's going to stick out. Hope, 
historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call Him Lord and who follow Him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent His only Son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, He's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love, man, and give